It's good to be back, friends. It's good to be back here this Sunday. Last weekend in in Calgary, um, man, we had a lot of meetings. We had a lot of meetings for Wells Canada. We had a lot of meetings for the Canadian Mission Board, and there were a lot of meetings. But, on, but um, fortunately, I, we, we did have half a day where we could go up into the mountains. You've got to do that when you're there and um, go for a hike. So we did a little research. Uh, we checked some things out, and uh, we found what we thought would be a, a, a great trail that would give us some good exercise and, uh, and some fantastic scenery. So we made plans, we got up early that morning, and we got up there into the mountains, just beautiful sunset shining on the mountains, and, and we, we found where our trail would start, and it was called the, the Indefatigable Trail in Kananaskis. Beautiful country. But when we got to the, 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 the mouth of the trail, <clears throat> there was a huge sign plastered across the front of the trail that said, this trail was decommissioned in 2005, by the government of Alberta. This territory is natural habitat for grizzly bears. And we request that you do not use, that you do not hike on this trail. We had, come on, we had planned, we had, so we turned back, right? No, what do we do? We go. We go by, we take our picture by the sign and then we start at the trail. But I, Um, We also were just told earlier that day that it happened to be prime season for uh, grizzly bears foraging and getting ready before hibernation. So literally every time a tree cracked or or tweaked, we we were all jumping around. So finally about 50 meters up the trail, one of us uh, had the wisdom to stop and say, "Uh, what in the world are we doing? Um, We all had wives. If we made it home alive, we had wives who would kill us. So we turned around and came back. We went back to our cars and we actually found another trail to go and hike. Um, But let me ask, was the Alberta Park Service doing something that was mean and unloving to us? Were they trying to ruin our day by keeping us from hiking right through grizzly bear country? Um, Or do you think maybe it's possible they were trying to prevent us from being mauled to death by bears? So... Was it the parks service that was our enemy? Or do you think maybe it was the bears that were our enemy? In our, in our text for today, what we're going to get into today, Paul is going to say some very frank and direct things to the Galatians. Because he's going to be warning them about what they were actually doing. He's going to be warning them about the dangerous path that they were starting to walk down. And he's going to say some very direct things warning them about that path that they were about to embark on. And then he's going to ask them, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Has he? Is he being their enemy? No, he's not. He's not. Remember, there is one gospel. There is only one gospel. Jesus is the only gospel there is. He has done everything needed for you and I. Adding things to what Jesus has done for you and I is what we call error number one. And the Galatians, these new Christians, were falling into error number one because they thought they had to add their own religious activity to what Jesus had done for them. All right? They, and they were, they were sliding into that error and they were losing that confidence they had. So 
Paul writes this letter to them, and he, he spends the bulk of his, the, the letter he's writing to them hammering away at the fact that your religious activity, the things you do in life, cannot make God happy with you. Jesus alone gives you joy. So, we pick up his words. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Friends, do you see how complete God's grace is? Because when these people came to know God, when they came to faith in God, even that was something that God did. Even them coming to faith was something God did. It wasn't that they know God, it was that they were known by God. Look who's doing the knowing. God is doing the knowing. God is the one bringing them to faith. There isn't a single activity that you can do that needs to be added to what Jesus has done for you. And that includes not even making a decision to believe in Jesus. You can't do that. You didn't make a decision to believe in Jesus. You would not be capable of doing that. God did that for you. God is the one who changed your mind and heart. God is the one who brought you to faith. God even brings us to faith in this truth that saves us. It's, we are known by God. God's the one doing the knowing. God's the one that declares you an heir of His. And, and, and so even there, even when Paul is talking about how you came to know God, oh, he, he makes sure they understand, rather, are known by God. Paul wanted them and he wants us to see how wonderful and how complete the gospel is. There's no fine print. Okay, there's no catch. Jesus has done it all. Now before the Galatians were converted to Jesus, they were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Or they were slaves to weak and miserable principles. Now if you get into that word principles... There's, there's a lot of ways that can be translated. And what those principles, those principles they were slaves to were the false gods, the false idols of heathen religions, pagan idols, pagan gods. And, and we got a little taste of it in our first reading for this morning when, when that crowd started thinking that Paul and, and, and Barnabas were, were, were Zeus and, and Hermes. This is, the, this is where they had come from. They followed those Greek and Roman gods. So, so if you were a farmer... And you needed rain. You had to appease the God who controlled the rain in order to make it rain. If, if, if you were going on a long journey across the sea, you needed to appease Poseidon to keep you safe on your journey. If you wanted to get married, you had to go to Aphrodite. If you wanted to get pregnant, you had to appease the God of fertility. And so you had to uh, make sacrifices. You had to perform rituals. And you had to do all these things to get the things that you wanted from your God. That's how it worked. But Paul is saying in his letter, those things aren't gods. They're weak and miserable principles. There's nothing there. There's nothing behind them. They can't deliver what they promised. And you guys, you, you were enslaved by them. You were slaves to them because you thought you had to do all these things in order to make them happy. 
But thank God. Thank God that he brought you to faith in Jesus, that, that you are known by God. Thank God that he brought you to faith in Jesus because you've been freed from that. So why in the world would you want to go back to being enslaved by that kind of a thing again? And as he's writing, Paul is unable to comprehend such ridiculousness. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Paul feared that they were going back to being slaves to false gods, except he wasn't talking about the, those pagan idols of heathen religions. He was talking about them celebrating Passover and Pentecost and worshiping on the Sabbath day as if those things were required for salvation. So friends, being slaves to the thinking that, that our religious activity is going to make us right with God, here's his point, is just as bad as bowing down to heathen idols. Does that, does that make sense? Our thinking, being slaves to the thinking that we have to do all these things to make God right with us, even if it's worshiping on a certain day, celebrating a certain festival, if we think that's a requirement for our salvation, that there's no difference. It's just as bad as bowing down to a heathen idol. It's just as enslaving. Now, there was nothing wrong with them celebrating Passover or Pentecost or worshiping on a Sabbath. There is nothing wrong with us celebrating Christmas and Easter and worshiping on Sunday. What matters is why we do these things. And, and here's where this text now, I think, just kind of hits us right in the face. Because listen, if you are here today, if you are here today because you think that your attendance here somehow keeps you in good standing with God, if you're here today because you, you think your attendance here somehow saves you, then you are sliding into error number one. You are being enslaved to weak and miserable principles and you're bowing down to heathen idols instead of to Jesus. H have, you ever, have you ever noticed that we, uh, we tend to double or even triple our attendance here on Christmas Eve and Easter Sunday? Have you ever wondered why that's true? And, and don't get me wrong, no one's happier than me. Uh, we want every last person we can get to be in here. We need to do that. And that's why we try to get as many people as we can to join us for those special occasions. Because every person in here has the chance to hear the Word of God. But have you ever wondered why it's possible that we double and triple our attendance? Think about it. If you are someone... If you are someone who only comes here on Christmas and Easter, how could this not be your thinking? Well, it's Easter, so <clears throat> I guess we better go to church because um, that's how we're going to keep in right standing with God. Like, what else would be your thinking if that's the only day you go to church on? You're, you're trying to just keep, keep up the, you know, I, we want to make sure we stay on the list of good standing with God. So it's time to go to church, family. 
But before you get too self-righteous, because you guys come here more often than that, um, you could come here every single Sunday of the year with the same attitude, couldn't you? Well, it's Sunday, family, so we better go to church, because that's what you do on Sunday if you're good people. So that attitude can affect anything. It comes down to the why we're doing it. And finally, if that is why you are here today, if you are here today because you think your attendance is keeping you within good standing with God, then, then you aren't living in joy. You, you aren't living in joy. You aren't walking in freedom. You aren't delighting in the Lord and, and what the Lord has done for you. You aren't living differently during the week. You are showing up because you feel that your attendance will somehow make you right with God will make or keep, will say, God happy with you. And then we're getting the Christian life all backwards. It, it, it subtly becomes all about us and what we do, which leads to slavery. Instead of being about Jesus and what he has done, which leads to freedom. So many of us think that we know God because of our moral behavior, because of our church attendance, uh, because, of, because we're better than other people. But this text is saying, no, no. Um, then you're back to being enslaved to pagan gods and rituals. And when you think of pagan gods and, and, and rituals, you, I think you're, you think of something pretty dark, pretty horror movie scary, right? Pagan gods and rituals. You, you probably have some kind of a picture in your head of what that might look like. But what Paul is just very blatantly saying here is that's exactly what you're doing when you're using your own holiness as a means of saving yourself. You're, you're being enslaved to something in the very same way if, that if you were a slave to pagan gods and pagan rituals. Worship. When we gather together, worship. When we meet it for our small group Bible studies, those things are so important to strengthen us and to bless us. But if you attend those things as some kind of a uh, work that you do, a task that you do to keep God happy with you, then you're, you're being enslaved to something that, that can't deliver what you think it promised. Church, worship, and, and Bible study. When, when, when we dig into the Word, that strengthens our faith in Jesus. But it's not, it's not a work that saves you before God. It's something that fills your hungry soul with what it needs. It's something that, that reconnects you on a daily basis with the wonderful news that Jesus has done everything for us. That's what those things do. Okay, verse 12. Paul switches to a warmer tone. He nailed them, all right? He, he, he showed them in very bold language how dangerous it was what they were doing. He switches into the more pastorly Warm tone in verse 12. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. Brothers, I plead with you. I beg, I beg you. We see in these words how much Paul loved the Galatians. We see how concerned he is for them. Become like I am. Follow Christ as I follow Christ. I'm going to be following Jesus, so you follow me like I follow Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have freedom. We have freedom. Don't go back to being all caught up in, in external religious activity, in, in all those rituals, in all those things. Believe me, I've been there. I've been there. It doesn't work. 
I've done that. I've done that more than you all, in fact, he's going to say later. I've been there. It doesn't work. Don't get enslaved by that stuff. That's enslavement. Um, it doesn't bring joy. But come enjoy the freedom that I'm enjoying now. Come to Jesus. Look at verses, just kind of scan verses 12 to 15. It's that middle paragraph. If you want to just kind of scan your way through that, I'm not going to read it all. Um, but what you see from there is that it was some kind of illness, some kind of sickness that brought Paul to the Galatians to preach the gospel to them for the first time. And, and that Ill, we don't know what the illness was. We, we hear later, we hear in another letter of Paul's about his thorn in the flesh. It was it that, very likely, but what was it? We don't know. That illness, whatever it was, it says, was a trial to the Galatians. It, it made things difficult for, for their, I guess, their interaction with each other. It made things difficult. It seems to be, it seems to have been something with his eyes, but we're not sure. But even though that illness was a trial to them, those Galatians, and, and the Greek is a little bit more uh, graphic here, those Galatians did not spit that gospel message back out at Paul as if, you know how some people kind of have that, or some cultures have that, you know, they, they spit to get rid of bad luck or, or idols or what. They, they didn't do that. Maybe that's where their culture had come from, but they didn't spit the gospel message back out as if it were something evil. They didn't reject that message. In fact, they treated Paul very well. And in fact, they were so overjoyed by the gospel message that they welcomed Paul as if he were an angel. And here's where it goes extreme. They, they, were, so, they, they, they were so overjoyed by that gospel and, and welcomed Paul so kindly that they would have been willing to give, them, give Paul their eyes if they could have. I would call that joy. I would say that that was some preaching of the gospel that had the kind of effects that Paul was hoping it would have. I would say that caused some amazing change in their life, wouldn't you? I would say those people were walking with joy if they're willing to give their eyes up. So then Paul's next line. What happened to all your joy? What happened to that? What happened to wanting to give me your eyeballs? What happened? What happened? You know what happened? It was spoiled by the Judaizers who came by and said that in addition to what Jesus has done, you have to obey all the Old Testament laws. You have to be circumcised. You have to obey all these feasts, celebrations, festivals. And by the way, uh, Paul isn't really an apostle, they said, so you shouldn't really trust in him anyway. So their joy whew, evaporated. And they were back to being slaves. Because he loved them, Paul clearly told them that what they were doing was as bad as worshiping demons. And then he says that phrase, have I now become your enemy? By telling you the truth? Friends, isn't it a terrifying idea that you can be actively involved in practicing your religion under the banner of Christianity and Jesus Christ, but ultimately be slaves to heathen and pagan gods? Kind of a terrifying idea, isn't it? Um, if you think that your righteousness depends on you, that's what's happening. 
So maybe the question we want to make sure we answer before we leave here today is, how do you know then if you are truly walking in the freedom of the gospel of Jesus? Or if you are just living a life of external religious activity? Well, Paul tells us how you can know the difference. He tells us in verses 17 to 19. Those people, he's talking about the Judaizers, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. See, the Judaizers, they weren't trying to be helpful to the Galatians. They weren't trying to be helpful. They were... They were only trying to be helpful themselves. They were being completely self-serving. The only thing they ultimately wanted was for the Galatians to be following them instead of following Paul. It was like a popularity contest to make them feel good about themselves. They were no different than immature kids on a playground. You know, like when, when one group, you, they want everyone to follow their group and, you know, then not be in part of this group. That's what the, that's what the Judaizers were doing. They, they, they did not have the concerns of the Galatians in mind at all. And Paul's showing them that. So, you want to know if you're following Jesus in freedom or being enslaved to religion? One of the clues that you're being enslaved to external religion is this. You want to hear what you want to hear. You don't want to hear the truth. All of us are, you know, all of us are struggling. All of us have, we'll say, difficult issues in our lives, don't we? Um, marriages that are hard. Uh, financial situations that are crushing. Um, loved ones who are sick. Children that are wayward. I think all of us in here, I'm sure, have something we could use some help with. So, if I got up here and started telling you that, well, as long as you just come to church every single Sunday, and you start doing all of these things, all those problems you got are going to go right away. You might leave here happy, and you'd love me, think I'm great, because I made you happy. But not too far down the road, your life is going to blow up because you believed a lie. And I would be judged by God for not being honest with you. Because the truth is, even when we follow Jesus, there just are times that life is going to be difficult. Christianity makes no such promises. And that's the truth. People don't always want to hear that truth, but that's God's truth. You can know that you're following Jesus when you want to hear the truth. People whose lives have been changed by the gospel, they want to hear Jesus. They want to know Jesus. And someone who is not just looking out for their selfish interests, but someone who is looking out for you, someone who truly wants you to have joy, someone who truly wants you to have Jesus, will make sure that you understand what Jesus has done for you. They won't be telling you a list of things that you need to do to make yourself right with them. They'll make sure you understand what Jesus has done for you. And they'll have a, they'll have a pain in their gut, uh, comparable to the pain that a woman has in childbirth, until they see Christ formed in you. Paul is describing the, the, the pain, the angst, the emotional pain, 
and maybe even physical pain he felt as he just wanted to see Christ formed in their lives. Not only that they came to faith in Jesus, but that, that faith grew and showed itself in their lives in the kind of trust they showed him. And so Paul just had this angst as he wanted Christ to be formed in them and to see that happen. So when Paul said, become like I am, he wanted them to know Jesus, to, to follow Jesus. He wanted them to have the joy that the forgiveness Jesus gives us gave them. He wanted them to worship Jesus. He wanted them to look like Jesus. See, Paul wanted those Galatians to become like Jesus. The Judaizers wanted them to become like them. The Judaizers wanted, it, wanted the Galatians to, to, to get all excited about, to get all zealous about them. And, and then, so they were blocking, they were blocking them from Jesus because they knew that if, if the Galatians had Jesus, well, then they wouldn't really be too concerned about what the, the Judaizers would have to say. Do, do you see the difference between Paul and the Judaizers and where their concern was? Paul just wanted so badly for them to have Jesus. And that's why he's perplexed. He just wanted them so badly to have Jesus and to see Jesus formed in their lives and to know the good news that Jesus has brought for us all. And that's why Paul was perplexed with them. As your pastor, there are times that I am perplexed with us. I am perplexed often uh, when I see that we so often look more like our culture and less like Jesus. I'm perplexed when, for the fact that we don't seem, there doesn't seem to be the devotion there should be about worship and Bible study. I'm perplexed with us. When, when those of us who know better are, do not treat our, our worship here and our, and our ministry here as the priority it should be. So I get perplexed too. But listen, I have, been, I have become enslaved to weak and miserable principles. I've slid into error number one. I've been enslaved to things that, 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 um, that don't bring joy, that don't lead me to Jesus, that, that don't bring freedom. I've been enslaved to being busy religiously instead of just clinging to Jesus, who gives life and freedom. May God deliver me from that. May God set me free. May God set us free. In Jesus, he has set us free. Jesus has given us freedom from all these terror, terrorizing things that Paul is talking to the Galatians about. Jesus has set us free. Okay, He's given us freedom. So don't go back to slavery, friends. Live in that freedom. Live in that freedom. Friends, you know God. You know God. Rather, you are known by God. Okay? God has made everything right between you and Him by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In fact, God has even brought you to faith in Him. God even did that for you. So, be known by God. 
so you can have joy. And so Christ is formed in you. I want to see Christ formed in you, in us. I want to see you grow in that freedom that he has given you, that you live with that freedom. And so everyone you meet in life can see that freedom in your life and be drawn to it. And through that, be drawn to Jesus. Martin Luther once said, it is not imitation that makes sons, but rather it is sonship that makes imitators. He made us sons and daughters. He made us heirs. And because he made us sons, daughters, because he made us heirs, we are naturally going to imitate him. And as we imitate him out there in the world and people see us, they're going to see Jesus. And they're going to see what Jesus has done for us. And they're going to see the freedom we walk in that we don't live in this kind of angst, in this kind of place where we worry about what we have to do to keep God happy with us. This, the thing that sometimes so many people out there think they see in us as Christians, but we live in this kind of freedom where we know what we have in Jesus. So as you walk out of here, here's the thing I think maybe to think about. Um, what are you going to do now that you don't have to do anything for Jesus. What, you're, what you will discover once the gospel has freed you from having to do anything for Jesus is that you will want to do everything for Jesus. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.